Amen. I'd like to begin this evening by um, saying that it's my intention to use these Wednesday night services as um, a supplement and a chance to enhance our Sunday morning um, services and messages. So each of these Wednesday nights is going to look a little bit different. We're going to have different styles of messages. If you've been with me for a while, tonight's going to seem a little bit different than I usually do. Because I'm just going to kind of talk to you a little bit tonight. But So sometimes the messages will be different. Um, sometimes the people that are standing here are going to be different. I'm still 100% supporting our youth group, so I can't be two places at once. So sometimes you'll see a different person delivering a different message here. So tonight now... Our main focus all these Wednesday nights and all through Lent, you, really all year round, but we, we especially concentrate in, and during Lent about our relationship with God. What does that look like? How can we make it stronger? How can we bring more of it into our lives? How can we make it more active in our lives? I mean, we might think we have a great relationship with God, but you know, there's always places that we can improve things. There's always things we can do differently. And as we were reading here a little bit ago, sometimes there's some obstacles that get in our way with that relationship with God. One of the things that gets in our way sometimes are the traditions uh, about Jesus in our lives. Sometimes the traditions that we know or we hear about Jesus aren't the same as the Jesus of the Bible. Um, What we say about Jesus doesn't always conform to what Jesus said. Uh, What we teach sometimes doesn't always coincide with what Jesus taught. It's It's a difficult task then to... Uh, to throw aside the things that are of our traditions or things that we've been brought up learning and under, trying to understand and find out that Jesus actually kind of said some different things than what we're actually looking at. Sometimes we just have our pet notions or pet verses or pet ideas that we want to hang our hats on and, and fit Jesus into our ideas rather than us fitting ourselves. To look at the gospel writers. We have to look at Jesus' words to know what it actually means. Again, line up with what, with what Jesus said. The things that, that the people around him heard and accepted. Um, and so, like I said, that's sometimes difficult for us to do. That's just normal about being a human. We think we know something, we think we understand something, and so we look at things through that lens that we've developed from uh, tradition or from upbringing or wherever it's come from, and so we look at things differently. So when we read the Bible, and I talk about this all the time, but when we read the Bible, we have to do it with fresh eyes. We have to let those verses speak to us rather than trying to speak to them or trying to speak into them. We have to let them say for what, they, what they are going to say to us and let them uh, speak for what they'll say. Well, on Sunday, we looked at Luke 4. And we looked, uh, and I called, it, um, I called it Jesus' thesis statement. Jesus said, these are the things that I've come to do. This is the, these are the things that the Messiah has come to do. Now, he, he taught those things and he read those things through the prophet Isaiah, through Isaiah 61. And he outlined the things that, that the Messiah was going to do. And it didn't look like what the people at that time expected the Messiah to do. So they looked at it a little bit differently than, than what Jesus was talking about. And now I'm not just talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the general public or, or everybody else. I'm talking about some people that were really close to Jesus. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist was one of them. Um, so when we look at the life of John the Baptist, um, he had an expectation for the Messiah. And so when, if we look at also not only um, chapter 4 of Luke, but we look at chapter 7 that I, that I read from earlier this evening, and I'm going to get back to that in a second. Um, when we look at, uh, at Luke chapter 7, we find John the Baptist is in prison. And uh, he sends his disciples to talk to Jesus and say, Are you the Messiah? 
And that's the title of our message tonight. Are you the one? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Or should we wait for somebody else? Because John thought, okay, he's in, in, in prison and he's kind of uh, feeling a, a little bit of abandoned. Um, he's felt like the religious leaders uh, have abandoned him. He feels like Jesus, the Messiah, who John baptized not that long ago and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He said, Well, if that's who you are, then why am I here? Why, why am I sitting here? Because shouldn't you crash down all these walls? Shouldn't you break these bars down for me? And shouldn't you rescue me out of this situation? And Jesus said, Basically, you have a misunderstanding of who the Messiah is. Because not only did John want him to break him out of that prison, he wanted to do it because that Jesus, the Messiah, was breaking down that oppression against Rome and all the things that were going on with that. So John's in prison, hoping Jesus will um, get on with, with John's understanding of the Messiah, John's purpose for the Messiah. He's hoping that Jesus will do all these things, these actions that he feels that the Messiah should do. Wanted to break those prison walls down. He wanted his freedom, um, and really he wanted that political solution to the suffering that he was doing. And it was causing John now, John, let me back up just a couple of steps here. John baptized Jesus. John saw the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus. John heard God's voice. There was no doubt, and said to some of his disciples, he said, stop following me and start following that guy over there because he's the one that I've been telling you about. He's the one that, 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 uh, that we're preparing the way for, the reason that I'm, that I'm telling you all these things. But then John started to waver a little bit. John started to doubt, and he went and he said to his disciples, go ask this guy, are you the one or not? Are you the Messiah, or should we be waiting for somebody else? And so it started, it made John um, doubt a little bit. Now, I want to back that up, because we talk about that word doubt a lot, and we say, well, we, we can't doubt as Christians. Well, it, it might not be as bad as you, you think it is, because there's a, there's, a major difference between, there's a major difference between doubt and, and unbelief. Um, doubt is, is a matter of, of the mind, of the mind. It's, uh, we, we can't understand what God's doing or why he's doing it or it doesn't look the way we want it to look. That's what causes us to doubt, when things don't look the way we want them to. Unbelief, on the other hand, is a matter of, of, of the will rather than uh, a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the will. Unbelief is a matter of the will. We refuse to believe God's word and refuse to obey um, what he tells us to do. Um, doubt doesn't necessarily mean um, that a man is wrong. Um, Oswald Chambers said something like that. It might be a sign that, that, that we're just thinking and trying to process these things. So in John's case, the inquiry wasn't um, not born of willful unbelief, but of that doubt, that physical appearance, you know, and that, that emotional strain that he was under, saying, I, I was expecting something else, and, and I'm just not getting that. I don't understand what's going on here. So then the answer that Jesus sent him um, casts a very different design, uh, a very different purpose for the Messiah than, than John expected. And that's, that, that relates right back to us, because a lot of times the Messiah fills a different role than we expect him to fulfill. God fulfills a different role than the role that we expect him to, feel, to fill. So Jesus had those disciples take note of, of what he was doing, the ministry that he was doing to the people around him, you know, um, ministering to their, to their, to their needs. 
Um, he restored sight to the blind. He, he healed the lame so they could walk. He cast out demons. All the things that he, said, that he said he was going to do, all the things that the Messiah said they were going to do. So Jesus, Jesus doesn't accept John's idea of the Messiah. He wasn't trying to bargain with John and say, well, if that's what you think the Messiah is going to do and, and, and that's what you, is going to take you to believe and to follow me, well, then we can maybe work something out. No, Jesus said this is, this is what it is. So John, you know, Jesus didn't follow that, that, um, that expectation that John was trying to put him in, trying to paint him in. Instead, he offered John a different definition, different definition of the purpose, the identity, um, the character, the teaching, the ministry of, of the Messiah. And Jesus did more than that. He offered him a definition of his role and his purpose that would, that would define our concepts, our commonly held concept, concepts of who Jesus is in what Jesus wants to accomplish in our lives. You know, when Jesus, in both these places, in, 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 in Luke 4 and in Luke 7, Jesus lays out what the Messiah is here to do. And, and like I said, a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible, um, I, I not only read what's there, but sometimes my mind goes to, to what, what isn't there. And in, in, in both those places, when Jesus is laying out his, his mission statement, as we call it, his mission statement, his purpose statement, he doesn't mention heaven. He doesn't mention hell. He doesn't mention salvation the way we conceptualize salvation. He talks about other things that he's here for us to do. He doesn't talk about repentance, forgiveness, sin, judgment, plan of salvation. He talks about those things at other times, but he talks about those at other times for other people. He talks about no one comes to the Father but through me. He talks to, the, to unbelievers with those words to give them the reassurance of what the Messiah is doing. But now as he talks to people who understand salvation as it stands, as we conceptualize it, he starts to define that. He starts to define what that looks like and what we're really supposed to be thinking about and what we're really supposed to conceptualize in our minds. So we've inherited a tradition focused in defining, um, talking about salvation from a perspective of, of, of life after death. Right? And that's not inherently incorrect, but it's inherently falling short of the total. That doesn't appear to be what Jesus' main focus is. Jesus spoke of salvation. He addressed it from a much more, I would call it a holistic perspective. That might be some kind of crazy, but from, from a bigger perspective. You know, it, it encompasses a lot of other things. Salvation, when we look at it in the Greek, when we look at it in Hebrew, we look at it in Aramaic, it means a broader concept than simply getting a get-out-of-hell-free card. You know, when, we think of, when we think of salvation, we think of it as a, as a singular beam kind of thing, almost like a reverse fireman's pole. You know, it's not even a, an escalator or an elevator. It's, it's a very thin concept of an idea. But Jesus had a response to that. He said, no, it's, it's more than that. The Messiah is here for more than that. He talked about illness. He talked about injury. He talked about poverty. He talked about um, oppression. He talked about a message that, 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 that impacted the poor favorably. Remember what we talked about the poor last week uh, or on Sunday? Not, not uh, just monetarily poor, but people that can't help themselves, especially as it relates to our salvation. So here, Jesus is defining himself, regarding himself, his teaching, so that should, sure, that should serve 
um, for us as kind of a corrective way of some kind of way to emphasis um, or, or to maybe understand what we've, what we've read through uh, faith and traditions um, isn't always on the straight and narrow, isn't always straight, as I say, down the middle. Our emphasis might be different from those of Jesus. But we need to consider what Jesus considered the central part of his ministry, central part of his life. When we do that, then we can reflect in our own practice, our own teaching, our own reflection. But if they're not represented fairly, then it can't be really Jesus that we're following. There are many people who, who, uh, who criticize the church because we're not changing the world. And you understand what I mean there. We're not solving political problems or sociological problems. But what we forget, and maybe what they're forgetting too, is that, is that God changes the world by changing individual people. History shows that the church has often led the, in humanitarian services and in humanitarian reform. But then we start to get off the straight and there. We start to forget our purpose. We forget to, start to forget our mission statement. Because Jesus says the church's main job is to bring lost sinners to the Savior. Everything else we do is a byproduct of that or a means to that. Proclaiming the gospel must always be the church's first priority. So when we return to Jesus' words and when we examine Jesus' words, when we, when we let Jesus' words speak to us rather than trying to speak into them, we need to consider what he believed and what he said to be important. Think about what Jesus spent his time, his energy on in, in compare it to our traditions to tell us exactly what's important and what we need to concentrate on and focus on. We've got to consider how our traditions reflect the emphasis of Jesus' words and his teachings. Jesus didn't only um, deal with people who were sick, with illnesses and oppressed. Uh, he didn't do that as an interruption of his ministry. He did that as a part of his ministry. And when John's disciples came to talk to him about that, to ask him about that, because John was really confused and started to doubt what he already believed, what he had already seen, what he had already experienced, he said, well, I I must be wrong here because it's not looking the way I want want it to look. So when Jesus talked to John's disciples, he didn't give them some kind of um, theological dissertation on what the Messiah was supposed to do. What did he say to him? He said, why don't you come and see? And that's what he said to his disciples. You know, he called the disciples, and the disciples said, what are we going to do? And Jesus said, come and see. And when John, the disciples that were still with John, came and talked to him, and Jesus said, come and see, then he said, okay, now go tell John what you have seen. That it's 100% the Messiah. The things that he says aren't by chance. Half of those are messianic miracles that, that he's talking about, that Jesus is talking about, to talk to John about. The miracles that only the Messiah is going to be able to do. So John's misconception was because that he wasn't getting what he wanted. He felt cheated, like I said, by the religious um, leaders of, of, the, of the Jewish community. Had him on ignore. They weren't worried about him. They weren't trying to help him. He felt the same way with Jesus. Jesus isn't here. He isn't trying to, isn't trying to help me. He isn't trying to get me out of here. And if he's the Messiah, then what am I still doing here? 
So given the chance, when Jesus was point blank asked who he is and who the Messiah came, or what the Messiah came to do, he answered. And it's a diff- if we examine that, it might be a different concept than we have about the Messiah. It's not that it's, our, our concept is misled, it's just that our concept falls short of what the Messiah, what Jesus does in our lives. It's the first thing I asked you last week. What difference does Jesus make in your life? And yes, the reassurance of salvation should make a huge difference in our lives. But if we stop there, again, it's that one little skinny pole that's coming down and it doesn't encompass all the things that Jesus does in our lives. When Jesus defined his ministry, he didn't talk about heaven or hell or eternity. He also didn't spiritualize John's understanding of him as the Messiah. He didn't shift to John's understanding and and try to do and fill in the things that he was talking about. He offered instead the holistic approach to understanding the God's messianic purpose for him. In order to take Jesus' words to heart, in order to take Jesus' words to heart, we must be willing to honestly reassess our grasp of the gospel's priorities. What do they mean for us? What is God trying to speak into us? And again, Lent is a time to kind of hit the reset button and say, you know, maybe, maybe I don't have a complete understanding about this. And God uses examples. This is one of the unique things about the Bible. You know, if this were uh, something written about Camelot, we sure wouldn't be reading about people's misconceptions. We would be reading about how great they are. Here we're reading about John the Baptist having a misunderstanding, a misguided notion of who the Messiah is. To reassess our grasp on the gospel's priorities have to assess how well we have dedicated our lives in, in, in the ministries of our churches to seeing those people around us, to see them the way Jesus saw them, to respond to people the way Jesus responded to them. You know, we say all the time, well, we have to accept Jesus into our lives, which is 100% true, but if that's the only thing we ever said, nobody would listen to it. Because it doesn't really mean anything. Who is the Messiah and what difference has he make? What difference does he make in your life? So then the end of that story is when John's disciples returned to him with that report that Jesus sent to him, John had a decision to make. John had some processing to do. How was he going to respond to this new definition of the Messiah that Jesus laid out for him that was only half of what he wanted it to be? Would he be willing to accept God's purpose as, as this interfering and correcting his tradition, his, his, his ideas of, of the gospel, of the Messiah? John had his own understanding, just like we do. We have our own understanding, just like John did. And Jesus' words didn't, didn't fall in line with his expectations. And he started to waver. 
So Jesus told his disciples, first of all, come and see these things that I'm doing. And now, go and tell John beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. It just doesn't always look the way we want it to. And it doesn't always line up the way we want it to. And it doesn't always line up with the traditions that we've been taught and the things that we tried to learn and tried to read into the gospel rather than letting the gospel speak to us. So it becomes a matter of who we're following, and that's what Jesus challenged John with. Because I'm going to leave you with this. If our lives um, don't address what Jesus held dear and, and the things that he lined out for us, his mission statements, if, our, if we're not lining up with that, then who or, or what are we actually following? This Lenten season is a time to get things back on track. And maybe they've been off track for a long time, understanding who the Messiah is, who the Christ is, who Jesus is in your life, and the difference he makes in your life. Every person would have a different answer to that. Every person should have a different answer to that. Jesus spoke to different people in different ways because they needed to hear different things. But what we need to do is focus in on his words and let him speak to us. So while you're reading through the Bible this Lenten season, throw out everything you think you know and let those words speak to you. Would you please stand with me? And let's confess together what we believe in the words of the Apostles'